0: Look, if you have a Bible, grab it out and go with me to the book of Genesis chapter 22 and verse number one. Um, And also, if you can, book of James chapter four, verse eight uh, this evening as well. A little older New Testament there will be wonderful. And if you're taking notes, you can write down the title of the message is called The Wood, the Fire and the Knife. The Wood, the Fire and the Knife. And we've had a great day today. Great morning this morning. I had some lunch this afternoon. Uh, That was great. How good's lunch? I mean, it might be the best meal of the day. Uh, well, yeah, it's marginal, isn't it? They're all good, aren't they? Um, and the Bible says this. Sometime later, Genesis 22, verse one, God tested Abraham. Ouch. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. We'll come back to that. Early the next morning, I love that about Abraham. Very early, he got up and loaded up his donkey. He took with him two servants and his son Isaac. When he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out to the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We'll worship and then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and he said to him, Father Abraham, excuse me, he said to him, Father, and he said, to him, he said to his father, Abraham, father, had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. And I'm the only one. My name is Isaac. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Let's go to verse 13. It says this. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. Verse 17. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of cities, of the cities of their enemies, And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And James 4 verse 8 says this. And the NIV says, Come near to God and He will come near to you. And the New King James Version says, Draw near to the Lord and He will draw near to you. God, we love you tonight. We thank you, Lord, for your presence that's here. We thank you for the Word. We pray, God, tonight that you would speak, we ask. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said... Amen. Siri has changed the game. Changed the game. Do you remember life pre-Siri? Remember, remember, do you remember directions pre-Siri? Like for the men in the room, you know, directions didn't exist before her because you just bluffed your way to places. We can um, Look, I'm letting some male secrets out here. I do apologize, but let's be honest. We, we call it the force, but really we're just we're fudging our way through, you know. Uh, but if you were if you if you were really in dire need for some for some directions, you would stop off at the servo, and you would walk in and talk to Earl at the servo. And in New Zealand, it's the AA. I don't know what it's called here, but like you know the you know they would bring out the big maps, and it's like the national kind of road service map provider. And they would you would go look. I'm 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 going to you know Parramatta, you know, and and I want to avoid all the all the traffic. And they oh yeah, honey, honey. We got, you know, come, come in, Dal. We got what's, you know, what's your name? So I'm Levi. We have got Levi here trying to get to Parramatta. Oh, you want to avoid that traffic down the road, you know? And and then they would they, they would go, oh yeah, A Q. You know, you would find the grid, and that's on page 36. And so you would go there, and 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 there would be two kinds of direction givers. There was the really specific ones, too spe- overly specific, unhelpful. Or the really vague ones, and so the vague ones, you know, you'd you'd pull you'd pull over, and you'd wind down the window. Hey mate, how's it going? Hey, I'm looking for Parramatta, All right, and then they will be like, "Oh, that's that way," you know, and you'd be like, "Well, that's better than nothing," you know. And or you would go to the servo and you speak to Earl, and he would give you the directions that are far too specific, and he would say, "Yeah, go straight down the road there. You hit a roundabout. You can take a left." Like it's about a 15 kilometre journey. So you're gonna take a left there and then you're gonna get, now it's the third on the right. There's a big brown church, don't turn there. You wanna keep going. There's a large oak tree, okay, now two more, you know, and so then all of it, yeah, and you're lost. And sometimes I think that in life, sometimes vague directions are better than specific ones. If, if on the scale of directions, God would put himself somewhere, I think that God is on the vague side. Because if he gives you too many facts, you don't need faith. Whereas God's kind of more like, yeah, 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 that's it. (laughs) God gives us a dream in our hearts, which is usually a picture of the end. God's dream always has you in it. God's dream for you has got you in the middle. What's at the start scares you? Because you go, God, give me a dream. And he gives you a dream. And you go, oh, oh, didn't know about that. I'm there doing something that I'm afraid of talking to people, writing music, sharing your faith, raising a family, in big business. And you go, whoa, you know about that? And then the other part of you, the, the cynical Anzac in you that likes to cut down tall poppies says, oh, I don't know, I don't want a big note myself, but I looked I looked, I looked pretty good. <laughs> I was, it was, a, it was an ironic dream that made me afraid and at the same time made me exhilarated. I was nervous and excited. There's a tension, I'm not sure it's from the Lord. So then we go back in prayer and the same dream keeps coming up. There's gotta come a point where you realize that's God speaking to you. I remember Pastor Phil speaking, uh, it was probably in New Zealand maybe last year and he said when God when God speaks, when God opens his mouth, pictures come out. Like we go, But when you, wanna, when you wanna listen to someone who's a human, they use words and then they, those, those words impact your ears. But with God it's different. God will just give you pictures, give you dreams, give you vision, he'll give you images. And you're always in it. And then and then so that's the end. And then here I am here. And now I've got to fill in the gaps. But if he gave you all the steps, you would freak out. You could be like, Oh, I'm not sure if I if I like that. Not sure, I'm not sure about that actually. Whereas he just kinda goes there, yep. Paramount is that way. Give that a crack. And here we are with this wonderful picture where God speaks to Abraham with what is a very scary instruction. Take your only son. And take the one thing that you've been believing for for your whole life. Take that one thing and get rid of it. It's a foreshadowing of what God what God would do with Jesus, his, his, his only son. He would sacrifice him on a mountain. It's a foreshadowing of, of the New Testament. He says, take your son, your only son. And uh, yeah, just take him to a mountain and cark it, you know, just just pfft, just fill it that fish, just get rid of that, just. <laughs> and Abraham got up the next morning and loaded up his donkeys to fulfil that instruction. The weirdest part of that is not what he asked him to do, but where he told him to do it. He goes, uh, "It'll be on a mountain that I will show you." Like we went to lunch today, and imagine if it was like, "Yeah, we're going to go to lunch. It's going to be great." Can't wait. Where is it? You know, what are we having? That's normally the first question. You know, and where is it? Well, I'll show you. We're gonna have steak and I'll show you. I'll show you where. If we were having a chat and then you said that to me, we're gonna have steak, I'd be like, great. I'll show you where. And then I'll be like, excellent. At what stage are you considering showing me? Because I'm hungry. You know, like I'm married to a woman. Her name is Nadia. And I've got one wife. That's all I can afford, you know. And uh, uh, and she recently was on Justice League, uh, Wonder Woman. Um, but they mis- they miscast they miscast her. She the casting was all wrong. They had an Israeli model named Gal Gadot, who I think was substandard compared to my wife. They should have cast her. Has achieved much more in her life than that woman. But she did an amicable job, and I thought that she did. A, I thought it was an outstanding movie. And and uh, well, Wonder Woman was probably better than the Justice League. I think Justice League was a bit overrated. It just went downhill. DC needs to take a leaf out of the Marvel book, I think. Um, Which is is strange considering that DC has the two greatest superheroes of all time. Batman, number one, easy. Goes without saying. Superman slides in there at number two. And maybe the greatest villain of all time, the Joker. Who knows, let's think about it. Uh, He's up there with Sauron. Anyway, so we digress, we digress, (laughs) we digress. And, and I've known that, I'm, I'm 34, we've been married for 12 years, we've got four kids, but I've known her since I was 12. So when I was 19, I met Pastor John, the senior pastor of Arise Church, the church that I've been a part of and on staff at for 13 years. And I sat down with him and I said, I was 19, I said, John, look, I'm, you know, like Nadia and I are dating, you know her, you've met her and stuff. And the church was very young at that stage. And I'm like, you know, I just, I'm wondering if she's the one. That's a good question. And so I need you know, you need, some affirmation, some confirmation that, that what I'm thinking is the right thing. And he goes, Oh, yeah, she's amazing. And I was like, Yeah, yeah, I know. So, what do you reckon? And he's like, Well, it's, I can't make that choice for you. Like, that's, you'll know. I was like, Well, I don't know. That's why I'm asking you, <laughs> Do you know? You know? And he's like, Nah, 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 you know, you know, you know. And I just thought that that was the wor- at the time, I thought it was the worst possible answer that the man that I trusted could give me about what would be a very significant decision that I would make with my life. I would then later find out that it was the best advice that he could give me because it made, he made sure that the decision was mine to be made by me. And two weeks later, I was like, well, I don't know, some, sometime later, a few days later, maybe I was like, she is the one. This is, yes, have to. So then I took all the money I had to buy a ring Why we do this, I'm not quite sure. Because rings are cheap. You can get them on the top of a Bundaberg ginger beer. Like, you know, that's, you know, like that's, you get a a nice cold beverage and a ring all at the same time. And so, but I didn't try that one. You know, that's, and if you're here considering that, just cark that idea and actually just, actually do it. I, I hired a movie theater. I booked every seat in the theater. And I played her favorite movie, movie that's called, it's ironically termed, called How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. That's the name of the movie. Movie plays, there I get down on one knee and I ask her the question, will you marry me? And you know, if you're here and you have never been asked that question and you're a girl and you're thinking about what you'll do when you get asked that question, because you will get asked that question, I want you to know you have options. Don't box yourself in like you have to say yes. Because you know he might be a creep. You might just, no, no, no. Could be a strange individual. Like I think it's, good we talk about this in the church? Otherwise there's a lot of pressure for you to say yes. You might not want to say yes. You could say no. Let's just put that out there. You know? You could You could say maybe. I think that's inconclusive. I think that it would be a strange way to finish the evening. You know, I think <laughs> you could use a lifeline. You could phone a friend. I think that's I think that's rough. I I think you shouldn't. I think you could you could ask for a 50/50. I think that's a waste of a lifeline because it's a 50/50 question, and you could you might need that later on in life. You know, you could ask the crowd, but there was no crowd there that night. It was just me and Nadia, and the whole movie theater was empty. But or you could say yes. Let's make sure we cover that. You say yes. I think if you say yes, it should be a strong yes, because you know sometimes you give someone a soft yes. Like, oh, like, just coming back to the MCU for a minute. Um, Infinity Wars this week, have to, you know. And it's like, are we going? Yeah, of course, goes without saying. Well, when you ask somebody, will you marry me? It doesn't go without saying. It has to be said. So there I am, and there she is. And, well, sorry, other way around. There she is, and here I am, as it, as it, as it has been ever since. You know, I'm just kidding. You know, submissive and subservient, you know. I... I Oh, look, oh, oh, she's not here, so I'll tell you this. I'll wear the pants in my family, the ones that she gives me to wear. You know what I'm saying? You know, so. And here I am, and, I'm, and I'm, I ask the question, and she doesn't say no. Maybe. friend, she doesn't even say yes. You know what she does? She laughs. But not a laugh like you just gave me. A laugh like that. Because did you notice the second laugh was different than the first laugh? The second was like a nervous laughter, like a charity laugh. (laughs) It's like, if you mix that laugh and that laugh with that laugh, then you get that laugh, right? And that was it. It was like a nervous, nervous energy being expended. But still it was unclear what she was actually thinking. And then she goes, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Do you want a cup of tea? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Milk, no sugar? Yeah, 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 yeah. How good's that new song? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you write it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Will you marry me? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like we do, we, we, we do digress this evening, but my whole point is this. I didn't know, and so I tried to find the answer, and someone gave me an inconclusive response that meant that I had to find out the answer for myself. Have you ever found that your walk with God, your relationship with Him, is full of moments where He tests you on the job to try and make sure that you're hearing His voice properly, and sometimes you can't get any help from anybody else about the specific thing that you face? They call it, if you take a note, you can write this down. They call it the thingamajig. Go ahead, try, give that a crack. And here's an easier one, write this down. The watch call it. Some people call it the knower. They say that you know. How do you know? Don't know. But you know that you know. Yeah. I said to Alex Lee yesterday, I said, Alex, this week, I need to find some genes. And I said, the genes need to be, and I, I described this, this, and this. And he's the wrong person to ask, Alex. <laughs> and he's like, oh yeah, we could go to General Pants. Really? Like I don't mind shopping at General Pants, but I don't think they're gonna have the specific jeans that I want. When you go shopping, especially to the ladies here tonight, when you go shopping, you don't even know what you're looking for. You weren't even looking for anything. But when you find it, you know, that's the one. (laughs) You haven't even looked at the price because it doesn't matter because you've found it. (laughs) Parents, you know that when your daughter brings home a boy and thinks he's the one, you know he ain't the one. How do you know? I don't know. Musos, how do you know that when you got the melody that matches the lyrics perfectly for the song that you've been writing? Honestly, I don't know. But you know that it's gonna be a banger. How do you know? I don't know. How do you know that God spoke to you? How do you know that he's called you? How do you know that that dream is from him? I don't know. But you know that you know. In the thingamajig, in the whatchamacallit. God wants to be able to see. He spoke to Abraham and he said, "He said, go, go to the mountain, and I'll show you the mountain. So don't worry about that. But what you need to do is this: is the task. You need to kill your son." And Abraham's like, "Okay, well, I've, I know that's you, and it's vague, so that does sound like you. And I'm just going to just start the journey, and we'll figure it out as we go." Someone said to me once before I had Ryder, my firstborn son. He's nine years old. I was like, man, like I'm looking forward to being a parent, but you know, like I don't feel like well-prepared. I haven't read a lot of books or there's not a lot of TED Talks out there about parenting. Haven't watched a lot of YouTubes. You know, there aren't a lot of great uh, role models that I could look to in my life that have shown me how to do this job. And someone was like, oh, don't worry about it. And I was like, well, I don't think that that's a good response because I think parenting is something to worry about. And they said, no, 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 you'll be fine. See, so, well, I don't think I'll be fine. That's why we're having this chat. And they said this, you'll never be ready to be a parent until you have kids. You know what happened? Man, I relaxed. I chilled out. I took it easy. I didn't worry. And that has been my approach ever since. And all four of my kids are still alive. <laughs> <You> know, <like. laughs> Here's the thing about Abraham though. Abraham's walking up the mountain and, and he took some things with him. And and I think you and me are walking up a mountain of life, aren't we? Like, we love, like the Commonwealth Games was um, you know in, on the Gold Coast just the other day, and I think that the, the Commonwealth Games like a poor man's Olympics. I just said it, it's out there. And <laughs> but the thing about the thing about the Commonwealth Games and the Olympics is, of all of the events that they have, because they have a lot of events, the one event that we really truly care about, especially in the last decade at the Olympic Games, uh, especially Beijing Olympics, was the hundred meter sprint. Usain Bolt maybe one of the most dominant athletes of all time. Because you and me, we think we can actually run that distance. That's why we like it so much, because it's not that far. (laughs) It's about as far as from your car to your seat. So you're thinking, I could give that a go, because he can run it in 9.59 seconds, fastest man in history, fastest human that's ever lived, Usain Bolt. I could do that in 14 seconds, I reckon. Could that get me a look into the Olympics? Probably not, but you're thinking about it. Because then you look at the decathlon. Whoop, no, thank you. Pole vault, you know, like I've seen. And so we like these short distances, but the problem is, is that our life is nothing like the 100-meter sprint. It's more like a marathon. And so we're walking this journey where there's ups and downs and ebbs and flows in life. And we have a man, our father of the faith, that was asked to do something ridiculous, followed through, but heard God the whole way through. Heard him at the start and heard him at the end. If Abraham heard him at the start, but not at the end, Isaac would be dead. But he heard him at the start, heard him in the middle and right at the end. And the whole way through, we're gonna be people that are hearing hearing what God would have to say to us. And if you're taking notes, just very simply tonight, I'm gonna I'm just gonna just mention the four things that I noticed that Abraham carried up the mountain and hopefully we can learn a thing or two from him. The first thing that he took was the wood. And the Bible says this in verse 6, 22, Genesis 22. That Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. That he took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. When I read that, I thought to myself, that's not very flash to carry wood. No iPhone, and no technology. Nothing about what they carried was glamorous. He's like, we're going to start a fire. And we're going to do something great, and we need some wood. When I read that, you know what I think about? I think about me, I think about us because you and me, really, at the end of the day, aren't really that glamorous. We're just kind of simple, ordinary, and normal people that God wants to use to do something great with. If we were to brainstorm a uh, now, this is the third time I've come back to the MCU, but I have not, I don't have an addiction. To, to quality superhero films or anything like that. It just so happened that it's, it's, it's come up tonight a few times already and we're only halfway through, you know, so we'll see how we go. But if we were gonna have a brainstorm as to, you know, let's say we're going back two and a half thousand years together just in a time machine with Doctor Strange and we're going back and, and someone says, hey, you know, we're brainstorming Jesus and we're just trying to figure out who we want him to be, look like, We know that the character that he's gonna have, he's a son of God, we're not gonna change any of that, but really the form that he will take, what he'll do on the earth for those 33 years. And I'd be like, I'd be into that, I'd be keen. And you'd be thinking, wow, the Messiah, saviour of the world, gotta be the Hulk, have to. It's like, no, 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 not eloquent enough, you know, true, 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 true. Iron Man, it has to be iron, no, 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 not big enough triceps. Thor, Chris Hemsworth, he's like, he's the one. Nah, still don't think we've got it, you know? And because this is the kind of brainstorm where no idea is a bad idea, someone up the back says, what about a baby? And everyone's like, who bought the baby guy? You know, <laughs> who would suggest that we would use a baby on the brainstorm, which is why I'm pointing over here at the screen, because that's what the brainstorm is, <laughs> as the Messiah and the savior of the world? Nobody in their right mind would suggest a helpless infant would be what we would put our hope in. Yeah. But isn't that why God chose a baby? He could have chosen Thor. He could have made a Hulk. That's that's not difficult for God. But He chose a baby because the foolish things of the world will confound the wise and the weak confound the strong. And so you and me are looking for some superhero to come and save the day. That like God's like, no, 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 what? we wouldn't need superheroes. We've just got regular heroes, that's you, and he's the super, and we partner with God, we can do great things. I read something recently where there was this, there was this procedure where a doctor performed an amazing, a miraculous surgery, saved the life of somebody, and the media came and couldn't wait to interview, you know, kick the door in, journos there, as they do, just aggressive, you know? And they, they pushed past the doctor, so the doctor's, doctors are a bit thinking, well, who are they talking to? And all his instruments were cleaned up and they interviewed the scalpel. And, and, and they said, oh, wow. Amazing what you've achieved tonight, scalpel. Is it okay if we call you that? And they begin to ask the scalpel all these questions and the doctor's just standing back looking, quite intrigued by the whole thing, quite amused at what's taking place. And then it comes, they they realize, oh, scaffolds don't talk. (laughs) Then they realize that the real genius of the whole operation was not the the tool, but was the surgeon, the great physician. Isn't isn't that our testimony? That when people should come and ask us how great we are, the wonderful things that we have achieved, shouldn't our mute reticence, Direct all the praise to someone who's greater than us. That says, man, I'm just a tool. Amen. I'm just a tool in his hands. That you and me, that I think about Samson. He's fighting the Philistines. Ooh, yeah, thousand of them. Let's get it. And he's looking down. He's got a flamethrower. He's got a lightsaber, grenade launcher, shotgun, donkey's jawbone. He's like, excellent. That's perfect. That's what I need. And I look at my life and look at your life. Highly skilled people all around us. Things that God could do that you would do if you were him. And then there's you. And he thinks, perfect. And takes down a thousand enemies with the donkey's jawbone. Friend, I mean no offense tonight, but isn't that us? Just a tool and a vehicle in the hand of a great and powerful warrior. The wood. If you're taking notes, you could write this down this evening. I think all of my points are one word with four letters. The second thing I find here is the fire. Genesis 22, verse six, again, that same scripture says this. Again, Abraham, he took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire. The fire is the presence of God. You see, it's good to be to recognize yourself as, as, as wood. Really, the Bible calls us earthen jars, doesn't it? Jars of clay. But the Bible says that there's something in those jars of clay. The Bible calls it treasure. It's the presence of God. That the Bible says that there's something that we're not just jars, but we're jars filled with fire. Remember Gideon, who goes to fight the Midianites and he's, and he's given all of the, the, the military, given them weapons. And the first thing he gives them is a jar. Like I would call a time out there. Can we chat, Gideon, can we have a chat I don't, think I, can, I don't think I can really hurt a guy with this jar, you know? And so sometimes we think that. How can I take on the world as a jar? And then Gideon's like, don't worry about it, because the next thing I'm gonna give you is a torch, fire. But make sure you, you put the fire in the jar and keep it covered. Like there's, there's something precious about God that's on your life, that you should keep that fire covered until the right moment. You know, Bill Johnson preached a sermon once about Jesus and he put, a, he put a towel on his shoulder and he said when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan and came out of the river, that the Holy Spirit descended on him, on his shoulder in the form of a dove. He said, he, now, now I'm not, he, he wasn't preaching this and neither am I, but this is what he said. He said the Bible doesn't record that the dove ever left Jesus. Now, I'm not saying Jesus walked around like one of those crazy parrot people. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but here's the point. Have you ever seen a bird? Rhetorical. Have you ever been close to a bird? They're very jittery animals. They don't like movement and they're afraid of strangers. And so when you move close, you go, ah, and they're gone. Isn't that like the presence of God on us though? That He's strong and brilliant and amazing, miraculous. But also too, there's some things He doesn't like. Conversations you're in, he's like, mm-hmm. he'd fly away. Like he's not gonna, he's not gonna, he's not gonna hit you up about it. Excuse me. <laughs> it's not like those two angels. He'd just leave. And then you know the joke. You'd be like, oh, bring the Holy Spirit back. Because this, he'll just go. We carry a fire. We carry the presence. It's it's special. The conversations we have, the movies we watch, the the music we listen to, the the things that we think about, everything that we get into, he carried not just the wood, that's us, but he carried the presence of God. And if you're taking notes, the next thing I notice, in fact, it was remiss of me, the word knife is point number three, it's got five letters, I do apologize. Verse six again says this, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So, so Isaac's young, he's got the wood, he's carrying it up the mountain and, and Abraham's got the fire there, a little, little stick with oil and fabric and poof, he's walking and he's got a knife. It's not a little pocket knife. Like I'm not, I'm not au fait with stabbing people, but I think if you really wanna do some damage, you don't want a pocket knife. I think he's got a machete. So I think he's walking with this machete in a sheath around his waist. And there's Isaac just checking it out, just walking up and then he's like, hey dad, um, I've just been thinking, (laughs) crazy thoughts, Um, about the implements we have. I got the wood, that's good, check. (laughs) You got the fire for the wood, check. So you need that for this, that's great. But the knife needs a victim. And I, I haven't seen anything that could be used as a victim, like crazy part from me. But I'm, I'm just saying that, like I don't. <laughs> and Abraham's like, and Abraham says, "Don't worry, the Lord will provide." He's like, "Don't worry about it." And I was thinking about the power of that knife. And the Bible says this in the book of Isaiah, verse 49, chapter 49 and verse two. It says he made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. Psalm 149 verse six says this, may the praise of God be in their mouths and a double edged sword in their hands. That you and me, we, we are the word, we carry God's presence, but we have got a knife that is not to cut down people in the physical, but we can cut down people in the spiritual that we can make a huge impact with the words that we speak. There was a, a, a man I know, his name is Brendan. Brendan works in, maybe the keyboardist could come join me. And Brendan works in IT. And Brendan was at work and was around the water cooler. And he's a Kiwi guy in IT. Got four kids around the water cooler. And he's talking to somebody about the weekend. Classic Monday conversation. How's your weekend? Excellent, you know. What'd you get up to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, just renovations and DIY. How about you? yeah, yeah. And, and, and then they said, "Now, oh, what did you get up to? He said, well, on Friday morning, we went to some local primary schools to feed young people who are in low socioeconomic areas breakfast. And they're like, that's really cool that you would do that. Said, yeah, we do it as part of the church. And every week we go, is that right? Yeah, yeah, no, it's cool. Three schools a week, and there are multiple schools with hundreds of volunteers. And who pays for that? Oh, yeah, it's another church. People give, and then wheat flakes cornflakes, and toast, And they're like, you're telling me that people give their time and their money to make sure that kids who don't have breakfast have breakfast at school? Yeah. And then this woman named Susan, she kind of dings, I imagine she dinged a cup. Ding, 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 ding. Gets everybody's attention. And she says, everybody, I'm here with Brendan. And he's just told me that his church feeds young people food in schools that don't have breakfast. And we need to support this. So tomorrow I'm baking a chocolate cake. And I'll bring it and you can eat it, but it's $2 a slice. So, so the money that we raise will go to help these kids. And he's standing there like, he's not saying anything, right? He's just standing. There. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, Susan, Brendan. Oh. That's how New Zealanders celebrate people. Oh, you know? Next day she comes, cake, bang, done. $36. He brings it to church with him. So he's like, got this money. And I was like, I said, hold the phone, man. I said, did you talk about Jesus? Did you say Jesus? Did you say did you say the name, the word? Did you mention him? And he's like, no, I didn't. Is that okay? I said, yeah, yeah, it's been effective so far, you know. I said, did you talk about God? I don't think I did. I said, did you prophesy out of the book of Deuteronomy? Did you do that? <laughs> he's like, no, I didn't. Is that something we should do? I said, Brendan, in one moment, you have debunked evangelism because we think that we've got to have this thing, read these books, be prepared. Whereas what you did it was you just made something that we do that's cool, really relevant for somebody quite naturally. And he's like, yeah, man. He says, you know, it's crazy. I said, got I said, the money's like, we'll take the money and we'll make sure that it gets to the right people, but it's not about the money. It's about the power of your words. And you, without even realising, have done such a good job explaining to an unchurched person what we do as a church to impact the lives of people that she's raising money for you. He said, yeah, it was crazy. I didn't even talk. I just had the conversation. Then she announced the whole stuff. I said, she's the prophet for the church, a church she's never been to. He goes, yeah, man, you know, it's crazy. Tomorrow she's doing cupcakes, man. So, so like every week she wants to do baking to raise money. And I was thinking, man, like if Brennan was here and I got him up to share the testimony, he wouldn't come up. He'd be like, no, I don't wanna talk. You just tell it. He's just one of those people, sold of the earth, standard. And here he is at work, just telling people, this is what we do. You know, your words have power to build up or tear down. That, that, that your words have the ability to make someone's day, that they would get home and feel that lift. How's your day? Oh my gosh, I had coffee, I bumped into such and such. That's so full of life. I said this morning in church, you know, when you brush your teeth and you squeeze the toothpaste tube, toothpaste comes out. You can write that down. You know, they they call Gethsemane. Gethsemane was the place of pressing. And the life of the olive is in the squeezing, isn't it? The life of the olive is in the pressing. And Gethsemane was an olive grove where they would press the olives to gain the life, the, the oil from the, isn't that our purpose in life? Isn't that what happens? We don't want it to happen, but inevitably it does happen. You get squeezed. But when you get squeezed, what comes out? And I wanna be one of those people that when I get squeezed, man, I'm proud of what comes out. That when life comes at me, praise comes out, gratefulness comes out, and joy comes out, and people around me are lifted. Come on, you can give God praise and impact it. As I close this evening, uh, there's one other thing that I that I, that I I notice, And if you take a note, you can write this down. It's a three-letter word. So if you combine all four words and all of the letters, it, it does equal 16. Um, but the, the last thing I noticed is that there was a ram. Now, Ben, could you come and join me, bro, just really quick? Could you stand down there? And really simply, I don't, you don't need to do much, bro. But if you stand down there and look towards me, if I stand here and if I take a step, we'll do this in a minute. If I take a step towards you, could you step towards me? Is that okay? So we'll, we'll go back, but but you just hang there and I'll be with you in a sec, is that okay? If I'm Abraham, they said that uh, in the Bible, when you, when you read it, it says that there's a ram caught in the thicket at the top of the mountain. Theologians would tell us that that mountain goat, that ram should not have been that high up the mountain, that it was not probable that a mountain goat would climb that high. And this was a famous mountain, Mount Moriah, famous mountain. And, and it should he shouldn't have come up that high, but somehow an animal made it to the right place at the right time, at the right moment, where Abraham needed something. And in the corner of his eye, he found a ram caught in the thicket. And I imagine if I'm Abraham and I'm with Isaac, how many moments would he have had where he would have doubted that God had called him in the first place? Where he would have gone, this is crazy. Why am I here? God's asked me to do something that's so counterintuitive to what God would have us do. And here he is walking up the mountain and he's every time he wants to turn back, but he doesn't. He takes a step up the mountain. And little does he know that on the other side, God's provision is taking a step towards him. But every step he takes, he has a decision to make, whether he turns and goes back or continues to press forward. And before you know it, as he gets to the top on the other side, God's answer comes and as he goes to take the life of his son, God, who knows that he can trust Abraham's thingamajig, the it, and the Noah, speaks and says, do not lay a hand on the boy. And he stops, probably uses that knife to cut the rope. And here's Isaac, a young man, probably 19. Abraham, over the age of 100, it's not a fair fight. I think Isaac submitted to his father. "I said, said, dad, if that's what God has called you to do, Take my life. He stops, cuts the ropes. And Isaac wipes his brow. The sweatiest brow ever. And Abraham sees in the corner of his eye, which is normally where God's answer is. It's normally in the corner of your eye. It's normally in your peripheral, isn't it? And he sees it and realizes that that's it. And then they take that ram. Thank you, bro, you can grab a seat. And they take that ram that spoke of God's provision. I read a story once about a woman who was swimming swimming for many hours off the coast of California to break a Guinness Book of World Records. And she was swimming, there was a crew around her and they were helping her and they couldn't touch her, but they they made sure that she was safe. And she'd been swimming for five hours to get from an island to the shore to break a record held for many years. And it was foggy, it was cold, it was chilly. Early in the morning, she's swimming. Everyone's there cheering her on, couldn't touch her, couldn't help her in any way. Boats only behind, so there's no slip streams. All, all, All done in such a way that there was nothing that other people would do that would impact her swim. She, she got there. She's tired, fatigue. And she gave up, lifted up her hand. She surrendered. International sign of surrender, right? She lifted up her hand. Said, I'm done. They said, no, no, no. She said, no, I'm done. Grabbed the boat. Bang. Race was over. They pulled her in the boat. As they pulled her in the boat, the fog cleared. She was less than 50 metres to the shore. And she said this, if only I knew how close I was, I would not have given up. How many times in your life have you given up just before God would come through? Just before that breakthrough. They say the coldest time of the night is just before the sun comes up. I used to do a, a bakery run where I would deliver bread. So the bakers get up, 11 p.m. they start, bread's ready at four and I would deliver. So I'd get up every day, three thirty, four four o'clock. This was to raise money for that ring that Nadia wanted. How much do I love this woman? A lot. So from four till seven, I would be awake, freezing cold. By the time it's seven, it's warm, the sun's up, it's great. I've been up at midnight a lot too. I've been a youth pastor for 15 years. Spent a lot of time in the Macca's drive-thru buying frozen Cokes. And I'm telling you, friends, anecdotally, 4 a.m. is much colder than midnight, just before the sun comes up. In your life, you might be saying, man, it feels cold in my life. Feels like I'm distant from God. Feels like I just can't get a breakthrough. Feels like He's far away. Feels like my finances are drying up. Relationships are doing the same. Friend, don't give up. As I close, coming back to that 100 metre sprint race that we talked about just before, the race that we all think we could win. There's only one way, apart from not finishing, that you can lose that race. Only one way. Only one way that you can lose that race, apart from not finishing. There's only one way. You know what that is? It's called a lane violation, which means that if you're running in your lane, and you even put a foot on the lane of the person next to you, even even if you touch the lane of the person next to you, you're instantly disqualified. Isn't that a picture of our life? And God doesn't call us to be someone else, live like someone else or do what other people, God has called you to run your, come on, you can give God praise tonight. He's called you to run your race that you would do you. Friend, if you're here tonight and you're saying, man, I'm distant, I feel like God's aloof, He's a long way off. I, I'm, I, I just don't know where I'm at with God. Now, I would love to pray with you before we close to help you understand that God is close. And if anybody's moved, it's not him, it's us. To say God's close, he loves you very much. And he didn't send the Hulk, Robert Downey Jr., Chris Hemsworth. He sent his son, Jesus, to pay the ultimate price to die on a cross for your sin, for my sin. I'd love to pray with you, friend, before we close. Would you mind closing your eyes? Could you do that just for privacy's sake?